Well, good morning, gang. Good to be back with you this morning after what seems like a really long hiatus away from our devotional time together. I know uh, Bruce has been back and Donovan's been back and uh, Dell's been back and Brandon's been back. Uh, but my days happen to fall this year on both Christmas and New Year's Day. Uh, so I took those days off, but I'm back in the new year. I hope your 2019 is is off to a good start. Uh, we're going to be talking about a person <laughs> and a family who uh, did not have such a good time, was not off to such a good start, at least in when we pick up his story. We're going to be spending the next number of weeks in the book of Job. Uh, chances are, if you've spent any time uh, in church or reading the Bible, then you certainly know uh, who Job is, or you've heard his name. He's sort of synonymous with suffering. And really, the book is a long uh, excursus on on suffering, on what it means that we go through um, seemingly meaningless or pointless suffering in this life, uh, and what God's role is in it, what how we should respond to it. I mean, it's, it shows all of that stuff. Hi, Bonnie. Missed you, too. Hi, Mona. I saw somebody else there. I can't see the, the person, but welcome. So... So today we're going to do just a, a little background on Job, kind of give an overview of the book. Um, we're going to be looking a little bit at the first chapter and some of the second chapter. Um, and then next week we'll, we'll uh, meet Job's um, hapless friends. Although initially they're not as hapless as you might think. Initially, at least for two verses out of the 40 chapters of this book, or close to 40 chapters, <laughs> they actually don't do too bad. So you, you got to give them two verses worth of credit, but we'll see that next week. So, all right, a little background on who Job was. Well, if you read verses one through three, uh, the author makes some things pretty clear. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless an upright one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. So what is the author trying to tell us in no uncertain terms about Job? Well, Job had it all. Job was massively successful, very wealthy, had a lot of abundance, especially for his time. Uh, incidentally, many scholars believe that Job is the oldest book that we have in the Bible. It goes back further in date than, uh, than any other book that we have, but that's a secondary issue. We just, uh, there's some things in the language and stuff that lead us to that, but I point that, out only, point that out only to say that when it mentions that he has 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, this is an exorbitant number of uh, animals and flocks and servants that he, is, he has for that time. So Now he goes on in verses 4 through 5 to tell us some other things about Job, more specifically. Uh, his sons, quote, verse 4, used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Good morning, Whitney. For Job said, quote, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually, speaking of him offering sacrifices on their behalf. 
So again, what does the author want us to know about Job? Not only did Job have everything, Job was a great father and was a very devout man. He was a worshipful, righteous man. He's later referred to as blameless uh, and upright. So Job really is, I mean, from the very beginning, the author wants to make it abundantly clear that this is a rock star of a human being. This is as good a man as you can get. And yet, as good as he is, he's going to face suffering. And he's going to face suffering because of another character we're introduced to in this chapter, namely Satan or the devil. Now, Satan has more pull and less pull than we think. Uh, the first thing that still strikes me each time I read this book is how much access the devil has to the throne of God in this story. Um, the images I remember from the little Sunday schools school that I went to seem to picture God sort of high up in heaven uh, and Satan way down below in hell, you know, and I understand where the pictures comes from. I, I never once, though, got the impression that Satan could communicate with God from any of those Sunday school talks. And yet here in the very first chapter, we see Satan being granted some sort of access to God. So we have to acknowledge, I think, that he has, on the one hand, more pull than we might naturally uh, we might naturally assume that he has more access than we might naturally assume. Uh, secondarily, also, the word that is officially used in Job to describe the devil is, quote, the Satan. So it's a definite article in front of the name. It's a title, the Satan. And that word was used to describe something of a spy. Uh, the picture is of uh, a being looking in on all your secrets and presenting them to the throne of God. That's the idea behind that title. He's a person that spies on all your secrets and brings them to the throne of God. If you want a great example of this, Zechariah chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 shows this. Satan literally just means accuser. That's what he does. He is the accuser. And of course, if you've walked with the Lord at all, then you know that that is a real thing. He is really great at accusing us of all of our sin. And what the rest of the Bible tells us or shows us is that Jesus is the one who stands in our place. Again, I don't have time to read it, but go to Zechariah 3 verses 1 through 6 for a great example of how this works out. So he has more pull than we might naturally think. On the other hand, he has less pull than we might naturally think too. Because in the final analysis, Satan only does as much as God allows him to in this story. He does not get to uh, set policy, so to speak. So, so we ought not make the devil so remote that he has nothing to do with our harm and trouble in this world. But we always also should remember that he still has to, in the final analysis, submit his blueprints to the God of heaven and earth. And this is very important. So if you look at verses 6 through 11, you see, and I, I won't read it for the time being, but if you have your Bible, you can uh, read it. Well, I'll read a little bit of it. But it says in verse 6, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it, just looking for someone to accuse and harass 
And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God? For who fears God? Uh, for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And so God, for whatever reasons, and we're going to wrestle through that, allows this to happen. And soon we see Job lose his family. And his possessions and everything that was described in the first few verses is taken away from him. In the next chapter, uh, not only does he lose his family, but he loses his health, being inflicted with these horrible sores all over his body. Again, Satan is behind this, and yet God is the one who allows it, and he even suggests Job. Uh, and so you might, I mean, I, I know I asked this question. You might ask, well, good gracious, why? I mean, that's really the question that underlines this or underlines this whole book is why, why? And you have Job and his friends sitting there trying to figure it out for chapter after chapter after chapter. Frankly, it gets really repetitive because they're, they go over the same sorts of possible solutions. And I think throughout the book, and really in our own lives, there's, there tends to be, I think, three solutions that we can uh, tend to go to. And you'll see this over and over throughout the book of Job. Uh, the first one is we're, we're prone to thinking that suffering happens in our life due to retribution. So we think, okay, um, it must be that God is angry with me. It must be that I sinned in some way, and that's why I'm suffering the way I am now. But the rest of Scripture doesn't allow that view, folks. It's natural, and you'll see Job's friends suggest it. They're constantly asking, what'd you do? What'd you do? You're holding out. You must have done something. You must have done something. And Job continually says, I didn't do anything. And it's not in some sort of self-righteous way. He's just like, I don't. No. In the rest of Scripture, whenever, especially in Jesus' ministry, people present the idea that somebody is getting paid back, Jesus is very quick to note that, no, this is not the case at all. So it can't be retribution, but that's often suggested. Now, it can be suffering could be seen as discipline. I think that's a fair understanding. You might be able to see it as discipline, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. There might be an aspect to our suffering in which we are disciplined. I think that's, there's some truth to that. But it's not retribution. We can't go there. So the first reason, uh, or the first thing that suffer, first reason suffering doesn't happen, I should say, is because of retribution. It doesn't happen because of retribution. Uh, secondly, it's also not because God isn't in control. And I think that's also an option that we go to. Now, again, this goes back to the point about uh, Satan, about the Satan, the accuser. Uh, but it is abundantly clear in the midst of all the suffering, suffering Job goes through, God never loses control. As a matter of fact, even at the end of the story, when Job is longing for an answer for why all this suffering has come upon him, God doesn't give it to him. God doesn't give him the answer. Rather, he just, he instead points to how much he is over all things. 
Now, it doesn't, in the one, on the one hand, doesn't satisfy our itching desire to understand why we go through the suffering we go through. Which, incidentally, as we go through this, I don't think, I, I, my point, my uh, position is that if we found out why we went through all the things we went through, it wouldn't be for the better. Um, but that's a separate issue. We'll get to that later. Um, we think our problem is knowledge. And God says, no, your problem is presence. You need to know that I am with you. And me being with you is going to be enough. Uh, that's me, I, will be enough, God says. So it's not because God loses control. And this has become, a, I mean, a more popular view because it makes it takes God off the hook. I mean, it, that's, that's the appeal of it, right? I mean, if, if God isn't in control of the evil and suffering, you say, well, okay, then God's not responsible and I don't have to sort of apologize for him to the world that's dealing with suffering. But God doesn't seem to mind having people wrestle with this. He doesn't, I mean, if you read the Psalms, you'll see people wrestling with this all the time. It's part of the life of faith. So we can't go as far as to say, well, God just kind of lost the handles there for a bit, and that's why. No, as hard as it may be, we say, no, he still is, he still is ultimately God. And then finally, it's not because God doesn't love Job that the suffering happens. It's not. How does God refer to Job in the passage? Verses, verse 8 and verse uh, Three of chapter two, and the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? God refers to him as my servant. God loves Job. God has tremendous love for Job. Now, let me just address something in the opening chapter here, or the, or the second chapter here, that's uh, the preachers often will get <laughs> kind of harsh about, it, and that's that's Job's wife. Um, you know, you listen to what Job's wife says after he's inflicted with sores and he's scraping himself and he's just lost all his possessions and his all of his kids, and she says, "You know, why are you even holding on to worshiping God anymore?" I'm paraphrasing. Why are you holding on to your integrity? Curse God and just die. And preachers will go, oh, oh, look at her lack of faith. And, you know, well, get, cut her some slack. She just lost a bunch of kids. She just lost her family. Like, cut her some slack. I mean, it's understandable what she says. And by the way, God can handle us when we get in those places, when we don't know what else to say, but raise our fists to heaven. God's okay with you expressing yourself in a real way. He's vastly more happy with you doing that than pretending to put a big smile on your face. He wants the real you. And so, you know what? I'm like, listen, give her a moment. She's grieving. All right. I just needed to put that out there for this poor wife of Job's that gets such a bad rap from mean preachers. All right. So let's break it all down. Let's wrap it up. Where do we see Christ in the study of Job and where are we going to see him as we go through this book? Well, first of all, as an upright person, he is constantly interceding for his children. Chapter one says, Jesus is the true and better interceder on your behalf. He is the truly upright and blameless man whom Satan is allowed to cause to suffer. 
But whereas God does not permit Satan to kill Job, he does permit such a thing with Jesus. Later on in the story, Job will perform sacrifices to spare his friends from the wrath of God. Jesus is the true and better Job as he will sacrifice his very own body for his friends. And finally, as we wrap up here, remember as you go through the book of Job and you see him interact with his friends that as Job... <laughs> continually loses his patience with his dullard friends for all of their bad ideas and bad advice. Jesus is endlessly patient with us as we struggle with our own afflictions and our own struggles and our own suffering in this life. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't walk away, but he promises to never leave us nor forsake us. All right, gang, that's the intro to Job. Looking forward to digging more into this book with you next week. Hope you have a, a great rest of the week, and we'll see you next Tuesday.